Hey, welcome to The Scrum, WGBH's politics podcast. I'm Adam Riley with Peter Kadzis. Hey, Peter. Hello, folks. Well, it's been four days as of this recording since Elizabeth Warren ended her presidential campaign. But for now, at least, she is still very much in the public eye. Over the weekend, she made a surprise appearance on Saturday Night Live. I am so proud of our campaign. We built a wide coalition of teachers, preschool teachers, middle school teachers, and teachers' pets. And then there is the lingering question of who Warren is going to endorse for the Democratic nomination if she endorses anyone. On CNN's State of the Union, Bernie Sanders told Jake Tapper he would love to get the backing of Warren and her supporters. Uh, Senator Warren talked about a wealth tax, something that I think is enormously important. We uh, 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 We also have a wealth tax, a nuance different than hers. But the same principle. So, Peter Kadzis, you've had a few days now to digest Warren's exit and what the implications might be locally as well as nationally. What's your take right now on the position she finds herself in and what she is likely to do moving forward? Natural question, Adam. Um, And we all know that there will be uh, local fallout, a huge local implication to all this. But actually, I think she finds herself in a position a- almost identical to what she found herself in in 2016 when she wasn't a candidate. Um, she was under a lot of pressure, uh, some of it psychological, some of it ideological, some of it good old-fashioned political hardball, to endorse um, you know, either Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders. And she said that uh, she was going to wait till after the convention to endorse. Now, at that time, that was seen as a great stateswoman-like thing to do. And it was. And it also enhanced her prestige. But more important than all of that is it solved a problem at home because Massachusetts, as the the primary showed, you know, was in effect 50-50 for each of the candidates. I think Warren's in a, a slightly tighter spot this time. Because she came in third, um, you have Joe Biden, who at the moment is the most popular national figure in Massachusetts, and Bernie Sanders is, is, is second. So it is in her interests not to offend either side. Now, granted, she's not up for re-election in four years, and the political idealists out there are saying, geez, Petey, you, you know, you're being awfully cynical about this. I don't see She this is as, up in four, right? Four yeah, more years until, yeah, okay. She, she, you know, this isn't cynicism. It's just reality. Um, now, there are a lot of other implications that, that come from this. I would expect Warren to um, lobby whoever does win the nomination, very hard to get key parts of her program put into the plank. You know, that could be corporate responsibility, that could be ending the revolving door between Congress and um, uh, Congress and lobbyists, um, just to name two of my favorite of her planks. But um, it'll play out one way or the other. Tell me if I'm right about this. I've I've been thinking through the question of who she might endorse. It seems to me like she has a lot more to gain if she comes to some sort of an agreement with Biden and endorses him in exchange for a commitment to certain types of policies if he is in fact elected. Because ideologically, there's more space between her and Biden than there is between her and Sanders. 
On the other hand, there's this countervailing imperative, which is that she has been kind of lukewarm, to put it mildly, publicly, fairly recently, about Biden as a political figure, talking about how he's not the right choice for Democrats. This is, of course, back when she hoped she would be the choice for Democrats, because you don't want to send a political insider like Biden to Washington at a time when the country needs something radically different. So am I right that that pure pragmatic politics sort of nudge her in the direction of backing Biden, but the fact that she is really not a Biden-type Democrat at her core pushes her in the opposite direction towards Sanders? <laughs> Let me give a very political answer. Um, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, listen, I'll tell you, um, I was really struck in her very long interview with Rachel Maddow um, after she withdrew about, you, you know, the, the sort of flashes of, I wouldn't call them tension, but um, th there's no, I, I guess it's too strong to say there's no love loss between Bernie and her. I don't know if it is. It's clear that they she may doesn't... be ideological soulmates in many ways, but um, I'm not sure they like each other. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, Biden it could be the other way around. Maybe she thinks Biden's okay, but, you know, is ideologically horrified by him. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because there's different levels these things work on. Just because you're ideologically simpatical with someone does not mean that you think highly of them. And there's a lot. There's, there's, this is such a complicated puzzle. Um, that's why waiting, waiting for the... Uh, nominee to emerge makes a lot of sense. But part of the complications is there are imp it, 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 it is assumed that if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, the Democrats will have a harder time taking back the Senate. Now, taking back the Senate is a long shot at best anyway. But now we've got Steve Bullock running in Montana. And the, the again, the assumption is, is it may be a long shot, but it'll be a better long shot with Biden. So her place in the U.S. Senate um, is affected by this. Um, also, let me reference what I, I think was a premature and somewhat irresponsible, uh, cheeky, it's not irresponsible, post that Axios. Um, I was going to ask you about that, yeah. You know, where she's mentioned as a possible Secretary of the Treasury. For Joe now, Biden. Yeah. You know now, her, Jamie Dimon. Yeah, you know. well, right. It, that, that, listen, that, it, <laughs> that piece sounds like it was leaked directly from Bernie Central. Now, by the <laughs> way, I've mentioned on this as her a possibility for Secretary of the Treasury. But that was me just blue-skying it. Um, uh but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> so, so let me make sure that I'm understanding the full implications of what you've just said correctly. You think there's a decent chance that she might, and tell me if I'm wrong, it sounds like you think there's a decent chance she might not endorse prior to the nomination being decided and then come out and throw her support behind someone. Am I getting that right? Or Yeah, wrong? I think she should have her head examined if she endorses before the nomination. Um, pure and simple. Um, For all the reasons that you've just mentioned. Yeah. Let me ask you about a comment that she made when she got out of the race. It was, for me, a really memorable moment, I think just because you're not used to seeing high-level elected 
officials talk about getting something wrong. She said, and I'll paraphrase, people told me at the outset that there wasn't a path for me in this race, that Biden had the moderates locked up, that Bernie had the progressives locked up, and there wasn't any room for anyone else. I thought they were wrong. Turns out I was wrong. By the way, I almost fell off my chair when I heard her say that. Um, Just because it's so weird to hear someone? Well, it was to hear any political figure, um, you know, confess to an error in judgment. And also, Elizabeth Warren is not known for being diffident. I, I thought... It was, a, it was a good thing to say. It was a sensible thing to say. It raised a question for me, which was the implication uh, that I took from her comments. One of the implications was that she had seen herself as somehow presenting a third way for Democrats, not the Biden way, not the Sanders way, but the Warren way. I may be wrong in reading that into what she said, but but I did, and I still do. And I found myself thinking, did Warren in her campaign actually present herself as an alternative to going the Biden route on the one hand or going the Sanders route? Because to my mind, she didn't. To my mind, she was ideologically right there with Sanders on almost everything, except for the fact that, as she reminded us periodically, she's a capitalist and he's not. Uh, I felt like she she was, you know, a half an inch to the right of Bernie Sanders, but was not trying to show voters, hey, there's another option here. But maybe I'm being too uncharitable, or maybe she didn't even make the point that I'm accusing her of making. No, I think, yeah, I think it, maximally you're right, minimally you're not wrong. Um, and by the way, I, I think there's a, there is an argument to be made that she's more to the left than Bernie Sanders, and that's because um, she's more attuned to using the lever of levers of power effectively. Hmm. Now, I might be giving Bernie short shrift, but let's get back to your main point. No, I, I, I think that her campaign in, in many ways is a narrative of a search for a third way. Um, um, I'm not sh- sure it was conscious, and I, I think that search for a third way might have been her undoing. For example, she ran as the, you know, she, she ran as the woman who, it's not wouldn't be deterred, uh, who persisted. Yes, nevertheless. Nevertheless, she persisted. Um, and her stick to on on certain issues uh, uh, really was, a, uh, that's why she was running. Then it became, I've got a plan for this. And by the way, she didn't just out of nowhere um, come up with this. The campaign found that her, she always intended to be issuing these plans after plans. But that became the branding focus. And they rebranded that way. And by the way, at the time, it made sense. Um, um <clears throat> Then, near the end, when things were not looking good, she tried on the unity, the hat of being the unity. Yeah, bring together the biggest cross-section of Democrats so we can beat Trump in November. Now, uh, our friend and colleague David Bernstein pointed out um, uh, in in a piece that you can read on WGBH News, uh, WGBH.org. This is the five decisions... That, that helped sink Warren's campaign. Yes, that by, beco- by becoming the unifier, 
she paradoxically um, denied herself a single opponent to our opponents, not a single, because um, uh, Bloomberg was her right. single opponent. He was the, yeah. um, but she she couldn't be as critical of the field. You know, that's she, a really good point. Yeah. And, and David, it's a, a brilliant observation on David's part. Um, so you take those three things um, and look. Um, uh, elections are very fluid. You, you know, um, it, it, I was always surprised right from the start that she didn't run as a champion of the hard press middle class. You know, the, the, the woman who was an expert in bankruptcy law. Now, by the way, that informed everything she did. Yep. But, um, it, you know, I, I think that more f- focused approach um, b- might have worked. I, I, I think there's, um, it might have worked, and I'm saying might have, be, because, you, you know, we here we are. I'm glad you, you struck that note because it is worth saying, and I think both you and I try to, try to note this periodically when we're on the radio and we're talking on the podcast, but I'm keenly aware, as are you, that it's easy to sit here and second-guess decisions that these people make. Quite another thing to be in the moment, yeah. building something like they're building and, and trying to win something like this. And here we are, you know, more or less a year later, and who are the finalists? Biden and Bernie. Let's talk briefly about local implications. You pointed out at the beginning that she's not up for re-election for another four years, so she has some breathing room. I've seen people raising the question, they've raised it to me on social media, oh, do you think that Warren is going to get a Democratic challenger next time she runs? There's also the question of whether she might get a credible Republican challenger. That hasn't been a strong suit for the mass Republican Party when it comes to taking on uh, Democratic congressional incumbents, but it could happen, and she'd be a a high-value target for the GOP locally and nationally. Uh, can you see either of those things coming to pass? Warren pressed either by a Democrat and or by a uh, a strong Republican in the general. Both of those are real possibilities. But if she's smart, um, she can avoid those possibilities. By the way, I'd say step number one is go to the St. Patrick's Day breakfast. Um, that's if because of the virus threats, the breakfast is yeah. hell. Uh, step number two would be the march and the parade, if in fact the parade happens. Um, again, I'm referencing the the coronavirus yeah. concerns, but um, I think she can avoid both. Uh, first of all, I don't know who the Republicans would come up with. Um, Charlie Baker, but I, th- yeah. that is idle and irresponsible talk on my part. From the Democrats, I'm sure there could be someone. No one comes to mind, but there could be. But she can avoid that. She, uh, she can avoid that. But she has to confront the fact that she came in third in her own state. And it's also worth noting that she came in third when if the Edison exit polls are to be believed, and they're, they're pretty solid, more women than men voted in Massachusetts. So there is an issue there that she needs to confront. Look, she's a smart politician. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would 
suggest, and I think she's doing this, that she decompress, you know, um, spend some time with that damn dog. Um, <laughs> spend some time with her husband. Just decompress. I, I mean, um, God, why anyone runs for president is beyond me. I cannot imagine Well, you're power crazed. Like... I mean, and <laughs> that, that, that's true of all of them. But she should decompress, think about what she wants. Uh, let me try a little reckless and irresponsible speculation. Is it fair to say that if we don't see her either poking gentle fun at herself and maybe some of her peers at the St. Patrick's Day breakfast or marching in the parade uh, that we can start speculating about maybe her not seeking re-election when the time comes? Or am I jumping the gun there? Oh, I think you're jumping the gun. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it would be a mistake for her not to take part in one or the other. It's just, you know, you fall off the horse, you get back on. And by the way, she was a regular attendee um, uh, at the St. Patrick's Day breakfast. And my recollection, she wasn't there, if I remember right, at last year's. You and I were there. I don't believe she no, made I don't an think she in-person was. appearance, at least. But she tells a pretty good joke, yeah, as I recall. And, 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 and by the way, as you know, I've been to <laughs> more, more of those breakfasts than I care to remember. Um, she has a pretty good, she had a pretty good attendance and she was always pretty well received. Yeah. All right. On that note, it's time to wrap up another installment of the Scrum. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen. Please subscribe to us if you haven't already. Rate us while you're at it if you have a few extra seconds. Also, talk back to us. You can email us at scrum at wgbh.org or find us on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam. And Peter, you are? At Kansas with a capital K. Our producer is Zoe Matthews. You can find her on Twitter, too, where she would be happy to take any and all recommendations for how to make the Scrum better. Zoe's handle is Zoe S. Matthews. That's Zoe S. as in stalwart Matthews with one T. We got essential production help from a bunch of other colleagues, including Gary Mott. I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.